This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. I'm Jessica Knoll. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Initially, this all started as a missing persons case. It was just that people were searching for this 23-year-old who had gone missing near Central Oregon Community College. And that's how it started. On the morning of July 25th, 2016, Edwin Laura woke up with a secret. The public safety officer at Central Oregon Community College lived in Bend, Oregon with his wife. She was also a police officer in Bend. And Edwin can't keep the secret to himself. Ashley Korslin is a news anchor at KGW in Portland, Oregon. That morning, uh, Edwin woke up and was teary-eyed and looked at his wife and said, I killed somebody. And she, she was astonished. She's like, what are you talking about? And he proceeds to tell her that he hit this woman on campus with his car on accident, that she was out walking in the dark and he hit her. Slowly, he shares more details, but he says it was all an accident, a terrible accident. Edwin doesn't stick around, though. And so Edwin takes Isabel, he takes their gun and their car, and he takes off. It turns out the woman that Edwin Laura claims to have hit with his campus patrol car was Kaylee Sawyer, a 23-year-old college student. She'd been out the night before with her friends for a bachelorette party in her college town, Bend, Oregon. It's also where she grew up. And they were out celebrating, drinking, just like any, you know, 23-year-old would be doing with her friends. And they were in downtown Bend. Jamie Sawyer is Kaylee's stepdad. They were out having drinks. She was dancing with the guy on the floor, just out there hanging around the bar, just having fun with everybody. So then Kaylee eventually begins texting with her boyfriend, Cameron, um, he is not out at the bar with the group of people, and she asked him to come pick her up. They got in a fight. Jealous boyfriend, drunk girlfriend. That's, things happen. And they live together in an apartment, and it's um, near the college. And so he's driving her home. They argue the whole way home. And when they when he parks at their apartment, he goes upstairs, and he he just wants to cool off. He wants to get away for a little bit. So he goes inside. She's still down in the car at this point, and... Through interviews we did with her family, they told us, you know, Kaylee would, when she would get upset at times, she'd walk away, um, which isn't a normal thing to go cool off. So she leaves the car at this point and walks away and proceeds to text Cameron. So they they have this big, long text conversation. They're still bickering and um, sort of fighting with each other. And he's saying, Kaylee, come back. Come back home. Let's talk about it. And she's just, uh, she's upset. Um, and again, you know, she had been drinking. So that sort of fueled the, the argument a bit. Um, they text for a while and... At one point, she he goes out driving to look for her, doesn't see her, which frustrates Kaylee. And so she texts him goodbye. And that's the last thing that he ever hears from her. Her phone just shuts off. Kaylee's boyfriend tells police the next day about his last communication with Kaylee before she disappeared. Kaylee's family and her boyfriend are worried. There's no sign of her all that next day. So by Sunday evening, she still doesn't turn up anywhere. Her car that she had left at her friend's house before going out with her girlfriends to that bachelorette party is still parked there. And so people start getting concerned. Her boyfriend calls 911. Um, Her mom, Julie, calls 911. And they launch this missing persons uh, case, essentially. And so police, though... Now, remember, Kaylee's 23. She's not a juvenile. So... There's nothing criminal about an adult wanting to leave or go off on their own or just go off the grid. And that happens. We cover cases about that all the time and people turn back up. And um, so, you know, police at first are like, we can't dedicate a lot of resources to this initially because we want to see if she's going to turn up at work Monday. 
But Kaylee doesn't show up for work. And that's when the detectives um, say, you know, this is something more ominous has happened. Something's wrong. And that's when they suspect foul play. Um, and that's when they really ramp up their search. In the meantime, as the search swings into full gear on that Monday, Edwin Laura's wife decides she has to say something to report her husband. So his wife ends up going into police on Monday morning because she said, I think my husband killed this missing woman. And so at this point, police say, okay, we know who we're looking for. We think Kaylee's dead, but we're not certain because we haven't found her body. So they hold out hope that Kaylee is still alive, maybe just injured. Um, They don't know where she is. But the wife has this bombshell interview with police where she tells them all of this. And so police, though are trying to ping his phone. They're trying to find his whereabouts. Um, But Isabel really is that first tangible key for investigators to figure out, okay, we think that Kaylee was killed um, and we know who our guy is. Detectives started looking for pings from Kaylee's phone, which were shown moving in and around different parts of Bend and nearby towns. They also go to the home of Kaylee's parents. Julie Van Cleve is Kaylee's mom. There was a knock on the door and I opened the door and it was uh, two state troopers there. Um, and they were dressed in a suit and tie. And I knew they were coming to tell me something bad. And they introduced themselves and said that they were here to let us know that they hadn't found Kaylee, but that um, based on some new evidence, they were moving it from a missing persons case to a homicide. And then as they search the home of campus security officer Edwin Laura, they find more signs that he's involved in Kaylee's disappearance. Redmond Police Detective Lieutenant Eric Beckwith. We found a, quite a bit of evidence at Ed's house. Um, we found Kaylee's purse. We found a rock that was used to commit the crime. Um, and we found, you know, pretty pretty damning evidence linking, um, you know, Ed to Kaylee's murder. Uh, also found a significant amount of evidence that disputed the fact that he had hit her with a car. Edwin Laura didn't just accidentally kill Kaylee Sawyer. He'd actually spotted her walking alone at night and picked her out. If you haven't been to Bend, um, it's really, there's a lot of nature there. So this college campus is up in this area. It's it's elevated. There are a lot of trees and you kind of feel like you're in a forest a bit when you're up there. So she's walking in the dark and, um, you know, she's not very far from her apartment and a car pulls up beside her and it turns out it is a campus, uh, a public safety officer who's in this SUV. And... You know, we only know what transpired based on um, Edwin Lara is his name, the killer. We only know what happened based on his admission to police. And and so what he tells police is that, um, you know, she saw him. He uh, She gets in thinking she's going to get a ride home because she thinks he's a police officer, right? So he looks just like a cop. His uniform, his SUV, it has a push bumper on the front. It's got the light bar across the top. He looks like a cop the way he's dressed. And so that's kind of what happens is she thinks he's going to give her a ride home is what we surmise. And that that's not, unfortunately, at all what happens. Yeah, as it turns out, um, Kaylee, that's that, that's her last night on earth, right? I mean, she he, he kills her. He, unfortunately, he does. Um, he first tries to take her wallet and her phone. Um, when she gets into the car, he puts her in the back seat. There's the cage in there. So she can't get out, um, which is is horrifying to think about, that this young woman is literally locked in the backseat of his patrol car. And so she starts screaming when he tells her, give me your phone and your wallet. 
And um, so what he admits to police is that he goes, gets out of the car, goes into the back seat and strangles her. She passes out. Um, and he drives up this secluded road on campus, and he drives up to lot B12, um, which is known for being dark and not, not many lights. It's just sort of out of the way, off the main drag of campus. And he takes her um, up to that lot, and she, while he's while he's driving and while he's about to park there, she wakes up screaming. She um, regains consciousness, basically, and he gets out again and... Um, pulls her out of the car. He hits her over the head with a large boulder, and then he rapes her. And it is just so awful to think about um, this poor woman out in the middle of nowhere who has, there, she can't get help from anybody. I don't think anyone would have heard her screaming up there. Um, and so Kaylee, at the point where he rapes her, is not dead. And in fact, in fact wakes up and um, begins screaming again, and he takes an even larger boulder at this point, and, he's, and he hits her over the head with it again, ultimately killing her. But Edwin Laura is on the run and just starting out on a crime spree that would take him from Oregon to California. Edwin Laura has driven from his home in the Bend-Redmond area a couple hours northwest to Salem, Oregon. And he, we have never figured out why Salem. That That's a mystery to us um, and investigators. But Needless to say, he goes and he waits at several stores. He goes to a mall. He waits for a, the perfect woman that he wanted to kidnap. So he needs a get he needs a getaway car because police know his car. He knows that, um, and so he ultimately kidnaps a young woman who was 19 at the time. Her name is Andrea Mays, and she's walking out from her shift at the Ross Dress for Less. She gets into her car and he carjacks her. I just remember him like getting in and he was just like, just drive, drive, you need to drive, like I need to get out of here. And he just kept repeating those things like repetitively. Like. And then that's when he told me, he's like, I need to get to California. They stop for the night in Southern Oregon and they stay in a hotel where she essentially outsmarted him. She felt he was going to rape her um, when he gave her sleeping pills. He told her, I will inject you with a syringe or you swallow sleeping pills. And so she took them herself. And as he, as she felt he was about to rape her, she said her phone somehow went off, basically. Her phone alarm went off. And he goes, what is that? And she said to him, I ha- it's, it's an alarm. I have to take my medication. I have an STD, which was not the truth. Um, but it was enough to rattle him, and she avoided a potential sexual assault, she feels. That detail of how she tricked him, did, did you ever ask her how she thought of that? I, I believe she had seen it on, a, like, a crime show somewhere, or she she watched a lot of, you know, true crime shows, and she's she just goes, I don't know where I really came up with that, but that was the only thing I could think of to keep him away. I mean, she described how he laid down next to her in the bed. She was, you know, handcuffed to the bed frame. And he. she said he started sucking on her earlobe, which is so disturbing. But she truly thought he was going to rape her, and she didn't know what was going to happen. And so, yeah, it's just crazy that she thought of that, but it was enough to deter him. Laura decides it's time to move on. They go to another motel. Edwin's desperate to get into another vehicle and stay one step ahead of police. At about five in the morning, Edwin finds his next victim. We walked into the guy's uh, room, but it was more of like, I got kind of pushed into the room first, and 
I remember the gentleman was just like yelling like, you guys have the wrong room, you need to go. And he was like, you know, don't make any loud noises, don't, don't yell or anything. He's like, I just need your car keys, we need to get out of here. Um, he was already pointing the gun at him at this point. Jack Levy is shot in the stomach and left for dead. And Laura decides to find another carjacking victim. And so Edwin then grabs Andrea. They run across the street to a gas station and they see a family uh, sitting in their car. The Two of the adults had gone in to get gas and use the restroom. And he takes their car. So there are two teenage boys and their elderly grandmother. And he carjacks them and takes them on the run. It, was there any sense of, like they could... You know, could the teenage boys have done something? Are they are they helpless with that, with him at the wheel? I think it happened so quickly. Uh, they were in the back seat of the car, and he jumped in the passenger or the driver's seat. Andrea, he said, "Get in the passenger seat," um, which were both vacant from the two adults who had gone inside. And it happened so quickly. He gets in. He's got a gun. He points it at him, and he gets in the driver's seat, and he takes off before anybody can even realize what has happened. Flying down the road into California with a car full of frightened hostages, Edwin opens up about his last few days, what he's done, and why he did it. That's where he makes the admission that he he has an urge to kill. He's had an urge to kill. um, And so these people, this poor family is terrified. He eventually does let them go, keeps Andrea in the car, and they're driving down I-5 in Northern California. And he tells Andrea, get your phone out. I want you to record a video. And I'm going to basically confess to Kaylee, and I'm going to—and it's really weird. He goes into this apology to Andrea's family. He says, I didn't do anything to her. She's okay. I'm sorry to Kaylee's family. And he said—well, he says, that girl in Central Oregon, I'm sorry to her family. Laura tells Andrea to put this confession video on Facebook Live. But once again, Andrea outsmarts her kidnapper. He wanted to broadcast it. He wanted the title to be Murderer on the Loose, um, which sort of gives you an insight into his psychology of what's going on there. He was bragging, essentially. Um, And Andrea changes the privacy setting so that only she can see it because she goes, I didn't want my family. Her family didn't even know what happened to her at this point. As Edwin Laura barrels down the road at over 100 miles per hour, a California Highway Patrol officer hits the lights, seeing the car pass by in a blur. And so the cop is close in on his heels, and that's when we have this dramatic 911 call that Edwin makes to dispatchers. So Edwin calls 911 and has a 13-minute conversation with a dispatcher where he confesses to everything. He makes some very weird admissions about, um, I don't want the cops to shoot me. I don't want to get hurt. I have asthma. I need an inhaler, so make sure they take it easy on me. All at this point, Andrea's sobbing in the passenger seat. So I feel like it really goes to show he's only worried about himself. He's worried about his asthma, about getting hurt, and not a care in the world about this poor woman who's sitting next to him. Laura also gives the 911 dispatcher a tip about Kaylee Sawyer and where he left her body. The dispatcher convinces Edwin to pull over Remember, he's on I-5, so there are lots of other cars. It's the early morning hours. There are semi-trucks driving by. Edwin does. He pulls over um, on the side of the road. Police descend upon the scene and rush toward the car. So the officers um, approach him and arrest him. And they. what's really eerie about this is they notice he's wearing body armor. And they ask him, why? Like, why do you have this? And he said, I came to throw down. Edwin is handcuffed and booked. 
But Andrea, presumably Laura's next victim, is not out of the woods yet. She ends up getting taken into custody as well. She gets taken into custody. She does. These officers don't know who she is. They think she's a suspect. How long does that go on for? So she gets booked into jail, and it's several hours, a better part of the day that she's there. It's not until the detectives from Oregon fly down. They charter a plane to get down there quickly, and they sort things out, and they say, whoa, this girl was kidnapped. But unfortunately for Andrea, her mugshot was released to the public, to the media, and her mugshot still exists, and that's been something that's really tough for her is, you know, she doesn't really fault the officers down there because they didn't know, but she said, look, I tried telling them, and they didn't believe me, and and thus she is um, arrested. But ultimately, she was fairly quickly released, and she goes back home to Oregon. With Laura in custody, investigators start questioning him. A six-hour interview. He tells them where he put Kaylee's body. He draws them a map, and... When watching that six-hour interview, it's just, I got chills because he seemed so eager to, you know, r- draw a map. And he he almost didn't hesitate. He just wanted, yeah, he wanted to tell them where it was. And they ultimately find Kaylee's body in a ravine off of the highway, um, not too far from Bend where she was killed, um, but outside of the town of Redmond. And it's just, it's a horrifying discovery for the the officer who finds her body because he thinks when he sees her, the way her body is positioned, angled up this ravine, it looks like her arms and legs are stretched out as though she's trying to crawl up the rocks. And it's it's so awful to hear this officer talk about um, finding her, but he thought she was alive. And so he describes racing to her body and he ultimately f- touches her skin and it's cold and leathery, as he says. It's just not, it doesn't feel like supple skin. And he, at that point, realizes that she's no longer alive. And it's it's just awful. Investigators also try to get Laura to explain why he's done what he's done. What drove him to rape and kill Kaylee Sawyer? A violent, random, and brutal murder. But there had to be some kind of idea or clue. Or let me rephrase that. Was there some kind of idea or clue inside of you? that grew with some rage, maybe that embraced that, maybe that believed that you were entitled to that, therefore it manifested the way it did. Anything in there that you can help me out with to help other people understand, help the people around us that we report to, that we talk to, the community at large understand. I think all throughout my life, I have struggled with Somehow the urge to kill. Why? Why did he do it? He had no criminal record. He's a public safety officer who wanted to be a police officer. Deschutes County District Attorney John Hummel. You know, I don't expect uh, somebody of his, you know, personality to ever, you know, show um, respect to, you know, the body of a deceased person when they showed such little respect to the the life of a, a living person, but. But, but, but it, I just think it tells you more about his depravity, how he chose to dispose of that body, just tossed down, and her body no doubt rolled and tumbled till it came to rest. When you think about where he dumped her body, just the most awful of circumstances, you don't do that to somebody. So on paper, you look at this and you think, this is not somebody who you would, you know, 
think would ever do something like this. His wife, she did admit that he had had a um, he had affairs, um, but in her mind, she was like, he's never been violent. Um, friends and family say he was very into church. In fact, he played music at church, and um, detectives found a Bible on his nightstand in his house. And so, for me, that's what I can't wrap my brain around. To be honest, I, I just don't understand. But he. In his interview, he talks about having this urge to kill for as long as he can remember. In fact, wanting to kill the uncle of a former girlfriend. So he had thought about killing someone before. But he tells officers that his wife, Isabel, is the reason he has um, been able to stay on on the right side of the law for all those years. One of the most chilling aspects of the investigation had to do with items found early on in the case. When police were just starting to connect Edwin Laura to the murder of Kaylee Sawyer, with Laura behind bars, police followed up on that evidence. When they searched his house, detectives found that Edwin had kept a presentation he put together on serial killers in college, and for some reason he still kept it. And it was a really graphic, um, visually graphic presentation with photos of bodies. And so detectives, um, they felt that the crime against Kaylee almost mimicked the killer he chose to profile. And so they strongly felt that this guy could be a serial killer. There may be more victims. And so they actually did investigate and look into cities and pl- countries where Edwin had visited to see if there were any um, unsolved cases. They, they never ended up connecting him to anything, but that was an avenue that they did explore. Edwin Laura is now in prison serving a life sentence for Kaylee Sawyer's murder and another life sentence for the kidnapping of Andrea Mays. He will never be allowed out of prison. The district attorney had wanted to pursue the death penalty, but there were some issues with Edwin's confession. Actually, his confession was thrown out, uh, which was another really riveting part of the story because he alleged he didn't get to call his attorney when he was in jail. And so that threw a big wrench into the case. But ultimately, Edwin agreed to a plea deal and took a life in prison um, plea. Edwin Laura's wife, Isabel, has left the Bend, Oregon Police Department, perhaps leaving behind the scars of that awful summer. Um, She wants nothing to do with him, his name. She's dropped his last name. She uses her maiden name now. And the fact that Kaylee, on the night she was killed, accepted a ride from someone she thought she could trust, and then that person brutally ended her life, spurred Kaylee's family to take action. So Kaylee's family went on to push for what's now known as Kaylee's Law, and it's an Oregon state law that uh, passed this year. And essentially, their com- why this happened was Kaylee's family said that Edwin Lara and the other COCC um, safety officers resembled police officers too much. They shouldn't have had a cage in the car. The uniform looked too much like a commissioned police officer. They alleged that Kaylee would not have died had Edwin not resembled a cop as much as he did. And so they went on to push for Kaylee's law, and it's now a law. So essentially what it does is it mandates steps to ensure that college police, college safety officers in Oregon cannot resemble a police officer. So their uniforms, their vehicles, their equipment, it must be distinguishable between an officer and a safety, a security guard, essentially. Um, And it also makes sure that colleges do proper national background checks and psychological um, exams before hiring any new safety officers. So Jessica and Spencer, a really important part of the story coming out of it once again is that there's now a new law in place that has to do with how campus security officers are identified or what kind of car they drive. Um, The family is hoping to pass similar laws in states around the country. 
How, how did that guy even pass the background check to become what he was? I don't, I mean, he didn't have a criminal background. Yeah, not that, not that I'm aware. So, I mean, he, the, clearly he, uh, he passed whatever test he had to do. And actually part of this law, Spencer, is that the background checks are more stringent. So it's, it is a good question, but he might have passed anyway. Um, there may have been aspects of his personality they didn't know about. Clearly something was going on. And all we know about him, once again, at the end of the day and why he did this was this urge to kill. I think one of the the things that was interesting to me is, you know, in so many of these kinds of stories and cases is you immediately have that prime suspect of the significant other, whether it's the boyfriend, the husband, and, you know, especially since she ended up having a fight with her boyfriend that night, obviously he's like the first person you look at. And in this instance, it was absolutely not him. Yeah. And in fact, the detective talks about it at one point, and if you listen to Ashley's full podcast, the full season, Urge to Kill, talks about just really having a really good sense of the boyfriend. He says, if you've done this long enough, you get you start to know if someone, or at least you start to have a pretty good idea if someone seems like they did something. And he says, Cameron was straight up. He was worried. He was nervous, not seemingly nervous about having done something wrong, but really nervous about His girlfriend what was the heck gone. had gone. Yeah, she yeah. Yeah, the, the young woman who he kidnapped had some really smart honor toe thinking, uh, very intelligent for being under that kind of pressure. And I think that whole social media thing where he wanted her to post things online and, and all that sort of stuff while he had her on the run, I think maybe she started to feel um, maybe she was worth more to him alive than dead. And maybe that's where her sense of power came in is to make herself more useful to him. Then she, after being kidnapped by him and being held hostage, is then arrested herself by police, not understanding that she's actually been kidnapped and is not helping him elude authorities. And how long did that actually take for the police to figure that out? Ashley tells me that she was in the police station, I believe, for a matter of, you know, half a day or some degree, some hours before Bend, Oregon detectives came down to California, sort of sorted out what was going on, and she was released. And Ashley tells me that, you know, when, when she talked to her about it, she says she kind of understood they had to ask their questions and go through the process. An amazing young woman. I want to switch gears really quick to Edwin's wife because she's kind of split as like someone that came forward and helped or didn't come forward fast enough. Yeah, well, as a police officer, clearly she knew, you know what, even as a human being, you know you have a duty probably to go report someone, even if it's your spouse. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine that? No, I mean, she had to have been torn. And I think her her duty as law enforcement and her sense of commitment to a husband, I mean, I can't imagine being torn in that way. So we have told you the story of Kaylee Sawyer's death and the ensuing aftermath. And there is an amazing new podcast we want to tell you about. And the host is actually Ashley Corslin, who assists us in this episode this week on True Crime Chronicles, telling us the story of Kaylee Sawyer. The podcast is Urge to Kill. 
And it goes deep into this story, the twists and turns, uh, a, a lot of original audio, nine, the 911 call, uh, that Facebook video we hear about in the car. So if you want to go deep into this story and, and listen to truly an, an amazing podcast, check out Urge to Kill wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Will, for bringing us the story. And we'll have a new case and a new story next week. Be sure to check out our Facebook group page, Inside the Crime Vault, where we discuss this and many other cases that we're covering. <laughs>